Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Brett. Emily. (laughs) What has been the most interesting thing you have done today since you woke up this morning? Um, Well, I'm rightfully or wrongfully so, admittedly, becoming addicted to TikTok. And I have, <laughs> I have discovered an account oh that gosh. takes little snippets of preachers who oh. preach hellfire and damnation. And it has been <laughs> the funniest stuff I have seen oh, in a long time. Oh my the, God. Fact that in, the fact that in 2021, there are still old men standing on platforms telling women, what was, what was the quote I heard this morning? Women, if your dress is so tight that it looks like two bulldogs are fighting in the back, you need what? to not wear oh that. My <laughs> this is on TikTok from a Christian from a, pastor. On a Sunday if nothing surprises me, though. Nothing surprises those, me, right? Uh, those are the podunk towns in, uh, in, I in mean, Texas. <laughs> I was like, Lord, oh, yeah. we have done mess this up. I, but I, it, that's, yeah. Today, thank you. Oh, Brett, you have been influenced. I have been fascinated by, um, (laughs) have y'all seen those little videos when they, over that song, it's called, Wow, You Can Really Dance. Like, and they dance back and forth. Those are just, those mesmerize me for some reason. It's so weird. (laughs) My wife's like, why do you keep watching? I'm like, I've watched one like 25 times the other day. I was like, I don't know why it's so weird, but it's It's kind of cool. TikTok is revolutionizing. Like I've learned how to cook. I've learned uh, about bad preaching. I've learned about what else, babe? What did I just tell you? Oh, I've learned the conspiracy theories. You have. I've I've heard. I've heard from time travelers. Yes. I mean, let's go. Let's go. Well, twenty twenty. 2020 was definitely the year of TikTok, and I feel like our teens um, did get inspired to cook because every recipe we were making during shutdown was a TikTok recipe. It was like they would come in the kitchen, and they would say, I learned this recipe on TikTok, Mom. And I'm like, well, at least you're cooking. I mean, you know, it could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, awesome. Well, we are so excited to have on the podcast today, the third voice you are hearing here is none other than Rondell Trevino, and he is with the Immigration Coalition. We couldn't wait to have him on the podcast for the very many ways that his work in the world overlaps and intersects with what Jesus Said Love is all about. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Excited to have some fun with y'all and talk about the Immigration Coalition. Yeah, we are too. So tell us what is the Immigration Coalition. Tell us who you are and and what your life's work really is about right now. Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder and director of the Immigration Coalition. Uh, We are a faith-based organization that provides uh, clean drinking water and now food to Latino, immigrant, migrant, and asylum-seeking families along the southern border, um, both on the Mexico side and along the the U.S. side in Colonia communities. Uh, One of the things that we saw that was a huge problem was there are 13 million plus Latinos, immigrants, migrants, asylum seekers along the southern border from Brownsville in South Texas all the way up to Tijuana across from San Diego, California, on both sides of the border who, who lack basic necessities, the food, adequate plumbing, uh, clean drinking water, and they live in extreme poverty. And so as an organization, we have said, how can we be um, strategic in partnering with local communities along the border um, who, who need help and, and, and need uh, basic necessities to food and, and water? And so that's what we've been doing for the past year and a half. 
um, as an organization. Um, and right now we're in five locations, um, one in um, uh, uh, San Luis, Mexico, across from Yuma, Arizona, in the desert area. We're also in Monte Alto, Texas. It's a colonial community. Uh, Edinburgh, Texas, a colonial community. And also where there are uh, some 900 plus asylum seekers uh, living in Reynosa, Mexico, that have gotten pushed, that have gotten not accepted into the U.S. They're living in a plaza. Uh, mm-hmm. They're actually in um, in Reynosa in this park, living in tents. And so we we feed them and provide water uh, with uh, to them. One of the reasons we're able to do it on a consistent basis in these multiple areas uh, is because we strategically partner with local leaders in these communities. Uh, so either a church or local leaders who just want to serve the community who have trust and people have known them for years and know the territory, uh, instead of coming alongside them and saying, hey, we're the Immigration Coalition, here's what you need. Uh, for long-term sustainability, we've said, how can we partner with these local churches and communities where they don't have funding or money. And we say, Hey, we'll fully fund the work. We'll partner with y'all on the ground. And so the people will may hear about the immigration coalition, um, but primarily they're seeing the people that they've trusted for 30 years. And so we're able to stay there on a consistent basis. Um, and so it's been, it's been great. Every week we're providing water, um, in Edinburgh, Texas and Monte Alto, we're providing, um, uh, food every week to 500 plus Latinos immigrants, uh, and asylum seekers who are need immigrant farm workers. Um, we partner with these churches, provide them food on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a huge blessing for us, uh, to, to do this work. And, um, you know, we've just scratched the surface, but we're excited to continue to grow, um, and continue to partner with those in need. Rondell, you uh, mentioned that you've been doing this for a year and a half at the border. Is that how long you guys have been in existence or did you do this work before formally organizing? How'd you get into it? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah. When we were, we, I've been in our, our organization has been in Austin for a year and a half or so. Um, but previously we were in Memphis, Tennessee for a couple of years. So we've been in existence for about three years. Um, and the first two years was primarily how do we educate the church, which we still do. It's just not what we lead with. Uh, we, we educate churches, anybody, people of goodwill on a, on an approach to immigration that shows deep compassion to immigrants, migrants, and asylum seeker, but also at the same time understands that there is also a healthy approach to border security that you have to implement. So how do we do both in a healthy way? How do we have these conversations and so we're doing that through podcasts, articles. We still do that stuff, uh, training churches behind the scenes, seminars, speaking at conferences, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt uh, because immigration is such a political issue, we felt, well, we would love to do more hands-on work with them. And, and how do we serve them directly so that, um, you know, whether you're a progressive Christian or a conservative Christian or whatever, um, you can't disagree that, you know, a human being doesn't need food and water. And so mm-hmm. that's been almost like our end for them to partner with us. And then we take the next steps of, well, here's why they need food and water. I mean, it mm-hmm. kind of trickles down into the broken immigration system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it allows us to educate churches and people um, even deeper um, mm-hmm. once they get in proximity to serving them. With food and water, um, we're able to have more conversations on immigration. So proximity we're trying to be, always oh. changes perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often say proximity breeds deep empathy, and and it changes people's perspectives. I think most of the time, in my conversations with folks who have been um, on either extreme, uh, they're actually people who you know who are humans with a soul, mind, heart. And if we can sit down and talk about things, they're usually the opposite of how they talk on social media. It's just, (laughs) it's a mask. It's a mask to cover up their really insecurities, fear. And so if we can break that down and actually build a friendship with one another, then we can build that relation of capital to share um, with my conservative friends saying, Hey, I get it. I believe there's border security, but we can't forget that there's a compassion piece. And Jesus overwhelmingly talks about that more than 
Romans 13 over and over in scripture. So how do we marry both and live in both because we can and same on the progressive side, meeting people where they are and agreeing with them. And it's in how, but how can we also talk about this other um, need for border security? That's a healthy approach. We might disagree on what that looks like. And I tell people all the time, we can disagree on border security all day. I think that's healthy. It's needed. Um, but Christians can never disagree that you can't, that, that you mu- that you must love immigrants, migrants, that's and right. asylum seekers as created in God's image. That's we can't right. disagree with that's that. Right. So. so why do you think, Rondell, that an issue, let, let's, let's just remove spirituality from it. You know, let's remove Jesus from it for a moment. Why do you think such an issue that our country was built on, right? Why do you think immigration has become such a politicized thing? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's because primarily it's it's always been about when you read about history in America, the real history (laughs) in a lot of ways, it's always been about territory and keeping it to ourselves, right? America first, um, a nationalistic mentality um, where the other is not even seen, not even, you're not even thinking about Jesus, just not even seen as a human. They're almost seen as a threat into our territory. I mean, this is, this is even, I was reading the history of what's going on with Gaza and Israel. It's all about, it's all about territory. It's all about borders. It's all about who, and they're their own people and they won't even accept them because they're, they won't even accept their own people because they're refugees. There's Mm. been this naturalist for years, not even just in the country of America, but around the world where a refugee and immigrant that label has been, has allowed people to not see the humanity in people Mm. in need. And we become when we become America first. When we become all about ourselves, then of course we're we're going to come. We're, we're we all we want is our comfort. We don't want to help nobody. We want our people to be taken care of. And so, because of that selfish mentality, it's easy to push away others in need. Mm. And I think it's been going on for years and years in American history. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what has been what we have seen to come. It's come to the light, this kind of mentality uh, over the past five or six years. Things have definitely slowed down in some ways Mm. um, after this past election. But we have noticed that people even within the church have been almost some of the biggest advocates for this mentality. Right. (laughs) And it it has hurt the church in many ways. And so, um, like you said, Emily, like starting from level one, talking about what is an immigrant? What does the Bible say about that? Sometimes it does become frustrating because it's in the Bible, right? But we, but oftentimes we have to start there because people are viewing the topic of immigration from a Fox News perspective or a CNN, whatever it may be. And I'm not throwing any kind of shade toward those places. Um, but when you primarily make that your main um, uh, main view on how you see people creating God's image. And it's going to distort your your orthopraxy, and, mm-hmm. and it's going to mess mess up how you treat people, how you view people, how you even run away from them. And so we've right. seen that for many many years. And with our work at the Immigration Coalition, you know, we have people who donate, who and partner with us prayerfully, who aren't even Christian; they're Muslim or they're agnostic or whatever it may be. And I love that um, because they see that. And that's why I love our work is no matter where you come from, people deserve food and water. Absolutely. So so that's been our, that's been our hope. And it's been frustrating. It it is frustrating though, sometimes to, you know, personally to, to see that we have this view on people who might be different and it's keep them out as much as possible as if they're a disease and they're not. Rondell, you are also a pastor. Is that correct? Yeah. What is your what is your faith background? Are you would you consider an evangelical faith background, or or where do you come from? How do you approach? What's your history there with spirituality and spiritual formation? Yeah, uh, yeah, I would say I'm an evangelical. I mean, evangelical is just someone who look, reads the Bible, that believes in the Bible, believes in the tradition of Christianity. So yeah, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe in in the Bible fully. Um, I believe in the church, the local church. Uh, I believe those are essential to our to our faith as Christians. 
Some, um, oh, and, go ahead. And, but there, I also know that that term, which I don't even use sometimes, um, is, is wounding for many. And so yeah. I'm also careful on how I approach that with people who might have been wounded from the church. And you have a lot of people who have been traumatized from the church, um, uh, from an abuse perspective, verbally, physically, from a race, racist, xenophobic mm-hmm. perspective, where evangelical have be, that term has become um, a, more of a problem. Yeah. And so I've, I've actually in my journey become more, I just love Jesus and I, he died <laughs> on the cross for my sins. I do go to church. I believe in membership. I believe in those things, but it also doesn't make me tweet out. If you're not going to church, you're not a Christian type stuff, right. which I think right. can, can, can hurt the conversation, especially on Twitter. Well, <laughs> some of why, some of why I asked that is because in our background, Brett and I were formed in uh, Baptist churches. And then when we got to Baylor, we really had more of an experience of a non-denominational evangelical worship became very central to what we were doing. And we sang all of these songs about, there was this song, I think it was a Rita Springer song about um, Ask Ask and I'll give the nations. I think Shane and Shane even recorded it. Mm. Ask and I'll give the nations to you. Oh, Lord, it's the cry of my heart. And it came from Scripture, that prayer, ask, you know, ask and I'll give the nations to you. And I remember when we started hearing about the migrant issue in Texas, and I remember when it became an overwhelming problem with where are we going to send, where are the resources, where are we going to place, you know, children in the separation. And I thought... And there was all of this upheaval in the church. And I thought, but didn't we just sing in the 90s Yeah, asking God to bring the nations? And they're here. And the problem, yeah, here's, here's the big problem, is we have a distorted missiology. And people, they think missions means I have to get on a plane and go to their country. If I go to their country and stay at a four or five star hotel and go into the community every day and share the gospel (laughs) and take pictures so I can bring back to my church to do presentations and show that we're really doing great work for one week and feel a little uncomfortable, then that's missions. And that's not missions. Missions is anywhere you go in, in, in America or where you live, your job, going to Starbucks every day to get that coffee, going to the grocery store, uh, people who are at the border you don't have to go far, but it, because it's, it's not, um, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not here. Here's, I'll get in trouble for this maybe, but it's not marketable right. for people at the church right. to say, Ooh, I love my church to say, guess what? You don't have to go across, across the world, which is needed. I believe those mission, missions are needed, but you don't, you, you don't have to, to go that far to see people from different countries in Latin America. You can go to the border and because people have a distorted missiology, they think that the people that they go to, because they're going to them in Honduras, as long as they're in their country, again, it's all about borders. As long as they're in their country, I will love them and share the gospel. But if they come up here in a caravan with a mom who's fleeing persecution, nah, they're undocumented. And they're not even across the U.S. soil. Mm. So because of that, it has, it has, it has really hurt the, the church's reputation. Mm. And... And some of the best partners I've had have been people from the church, but some of the best partners I've had who do work with us are people who aren't, aren't even a part of the church. They're some of the most welcoming people to immigrants, wow. the, the most hostile people in my experience over the five, six years have been people who are Christians. Mm. And that's as a Christian is disheartening, which means there's a lot of work to do and I, and I want to do it, but that, that should, that should, uh, that should be a red flag for us in the church. Yeah. So we got to continue to have these conversations. And like you said, Emily, we have to start on level one all the time. <laughs> like yeah. I'm on level 10, but I understand I need to meet people where they are, but because people have been discipled over the years on this broken missiology, uh, making disciples is all about going across the country or across colonialism. The world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about that. So, you know, and I, we can even get into the, the narrative of a lot of the reasons why we have a messed up missiology is because we have a, a, a distorted understanding of the history of America right. and, and how it was founded. And so, um, 
yeah, it, right. it, it can, it can definitely be, um, it's disheartening, but I think there's also fruitful work to do. Yeah. And one of the, one of the terms you mentioned, you said there are a couple of communities you're serving that are colonia communities. Can you define yeah. that for us? Yeah. So a, a colonia community is basically a neighborhood in Spanish. We, we, um, they are labeled from many studies from professors in, um, in El Paso, different parts along the border as communities that lack basic resources adequate. They don't have good housing, they lack food, like I said earlier. They lack water. That's over 60% live in extreme poverty. And so we're not even talking about the what, what gets in the media is um, are the asylum seekers that come to the border. But what we forget is a lot of them who come undocumented go, go across the border, and then they live in these colonial communities with you know seven different families in one little shack-like home that they built from their own hands, um, and, and they've been living there for years. And mm-hmm. so a colonial community is just an under-resourced community that is in need of help, uh, uh, with, with, with food, water, uh, housing, plumbing, things of that sort. And it's on the U S side. And so when and we they, saw that, they, we were like, mm-hmm. they lack like basic infrastructure, like no running water, no basic infrastructure. Yeah. We just posted uh, a, a post today on our TIC Instagram page, we were talking about the housing, like, and it, right now it's rainy season. And so right now uh, a lot of the areas get flooded. And so, you know, I have tons of videos. I didn't, haven't shared that, but you know, because the, they build their homes from their own hands with, I mean, you go to TIC, TIC's Instagram page, you'll see houses that are like half RV, half shack like home put together with seven families living inside, no adequate sewage, when you get up to the house, it smells really bad, like sewage, because they don't have anywhere to flush the toilet. I mean, it's just basic stuff. You're just like, this is on the U.S. side. Right. And, and they're often forgotten people because they're also in communities that aren't even labeled cities. And so you might mm-hmm. have a school, but you don't have any policing. The mm-hmm. uh, nearest hospital is 40 minutes away. I mean, it's just like it's literally like living in the shadows. And they feel most comfortable because they can work in agriculture they can work in the farms uh and go home and feel some decent some kind of way decently safe but when it comes to like the winter storm in texas when it comes to the hot heat as it's getting up right now when it comes to rainy season they deal with tons of issues and so we're, we're trying to bring awareness to that and and serve as much as we can i think that's so important we had friends who uh were involved in education and administration and he got a coaching job down at a town on the border. Um, and it was basically a a school where several cities kind of shared a common school together. So it was a really, you know, big school, but it was several of these Southern towns Mm -hmm. that came together. And, uh, so he coached out there and, we were amazed because we didn't know about these colonial communities. We had mm-hmm. no idea that these communities existed. No. And so I would ask them, I'm like, we'll do those. Cause they would have to drive through them and drive through an immigration, uh, stop point, a checkpoint yep. before they went yep. in to school every yep. day. And so we asked, and this was on the U S side. I'm like, so you're going through immigration and cust in like a customs check or an immigration stop, but you're on the U.S. side. And she said, yeah, because of these, I guess, neighborhoods and stuff. And so do those children that live in these shanty towns, in these shadow towns, in these um, Latina communities, Latino communities, do they get public school access? Do they get to go to school? Yeah, I mean, they do. They do have some kind of access, but a lot of them don't go to school. I mean, there's a community here in Austin, Texas, I could take you to a, an apartment where there's nothing but Guatemala and asylum seekers and none of the kids go to school and there are hundreds of families because in the Latino and in, in immigrant culture, mom and dad are working and the oldest child has to stay home to watch the kids. And then they don't trust the school system because of the fact that they're always afraid that, yeah, and they, they're afraid to even apply because they're undocumented. So you have a lot of kids who don't even go to school. Some do for sure. Um, some are even American, um, but those who are undocumented, oftentimes you won't have kids will stay home and they'll educate them from home. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big problem too. the schooling health health. Um, health is big. 
Yeah, because um, they do, because they're in the U.S. already, even though they are undocumented, when an accident does occur or, I mean, these are children or families or just people who we may not ever know about if something terrible happens to yeah. them. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and even coming from, you know, what y'all, the good work that y'all do when it comes to human trafficking along the border, that happens all the time. And so, yeah. I, and I have stories I can't even share much when it comes to our partners in Reynosa who have seen kids and moms give, go missing right. because you have this huge plaza and at night there's no protection. And so yeah. cartels and Reynosa is one of the worst places in the, in along the border with cartels. They mm-hmm. recruit kids, the human traffic, it's just happening all the time and they can't even keep up. I, I've tried to do as much research as I can on what's the human trafficking numbers along the border. It's even hard to keep up with. Right. They can't even keep up with the exact number because if you're undocumented, you have no kind of trace. And you so don't it's exist. just a, it's a well it's sadly it's a huge business, right? And y'all know yeah. way more than me, but I've heard of the stories and and it's 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 deeply sad. Um yeah. well, when it comes think, to that. You know, you think, okay, I'm coming to the United States, I'm seeking asylum because it's they're gonna take care of me. That is the the greatest country on the earth. So I've been taught and the kindest people. So I've been taught and they come here and all of a sudden now they're met with a wall or they're met with this or that, or name calling or uh, uh, a colonia town that has no services. You know, at some point I bet the cartel actually might sound better because maybe they might provide food Mm -hmm. and water and, so-called and often, security. And oftentimes what happens is a lot of, like in San Luis, Mexico, you know, we're, we're, there are tons of, uh, you know, used to be asylum seekers and immigrants from different countries living in these colonial communities because when they get pushed back, they can't, they don't want to go across the border undocumented, so they just stay along the border in these, these shack-like homes. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, I tell people, you know, a, a lot of times the reason one of the big, these people don't want to leave their country. I mean, they really don't. They love their country, but because of the lack of security and opportunity, they're willing to sacrifice and do all they can to come. And what comes into this is a narrative from the cartels and smugglers who say, oh, Biden's going to be the next president. He's going to open up the border. It's wide open. Give me all of your savings, which is $5,000, and they smuggle them. And by the time they get to the border, they've already gotten their money. The smuggler's gone. They get pushed back. So not only that, not only are they getting rejected, but they've lost all their money and their savings for their family. And now they have no hope. Mm-hmm. And another biggest reason that, that I think the church has to step up to try to do something is that a lot of them are Christians. And so there's yeah. a partner we have that uh, the church that we provide sleeping bags, food and stuff like that with in, in the Reynosa tent camp. And after they have a worship service and they've been having worship service and a lot of them are, they're worse than the Lord because they are Christians. And so it's just a tough, I always tell people the immigration system and what happens over the 30 plus years, it's like a big yarn that has just been tangled and it's hard to untangle. And it's going to take administration after administration trying to dabble and move the needle a little bit and a little bit more so that we can see some progress. But because, you know, Republicans and Democrats can't get along on anything, you're not seeing much happen. Um, You're not seeing much change. And so uh, when we were doing a lot of advocacy, which we still do in in some ways with immigration reform, you know, it just felt like there was not a lot of change happening. So I was like, well, how can we give people another way to instead of calling, they can call the representative, but they also can help practically with us. Because a lot of times people are like, what do I do? I'm tired of calling my representative. I want to do more. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to give people another way to help um, as, as much as possible. When I think about the story of the Christian faith, and when I think about the narrative of Scripture and how from Old Testament to New Testament, the people of God have been a wandering people. Yes. And this is if if me in 2021 as a white woman uh in Amer- born in America in in Texas if I look 
and don't see the fact that my faith, the faith that I'm born into is a faith of an immigrant savior, a a brown immigrant savior, and that I've been grafted. I mean, that's the adoption that Christ talks about, this adoption into the family of God, that then I don't understand my faith. Mm -hmm. I don't understand my faith if I don't understand that's who we are as people. Exactly. And, and, you know, I'm doing sermon prep for not this week, but next week, and we're going through James and uh, I'm going to teach on verse one and verse one, James chapter one, verse one says, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, mm-hmm. to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And it has a lot of correlation with first Peter when the Christians were de- it was a diaspora, they were just scattered among different places. And it's a multi-ethnic group of people. And so right off the bat in this verse, it's talking about the context is like, this is to people from a who are moving, they're migrating, they're, they're, this is the Christian life. I mean, even as Christians spiritually, we, this is not our home. We're again, passing through whenever God calls us home. We're, we're, we have more in common with immigrants than we would like to admit mm. as Christians. Yeah. And we have to, if we can understand that reality, um, then we're able to uh, be able to help them and serve them. I mean, mm-hmm. when it goes, when it comes to a passage that I'm reminded of the Good Samaritan, a lot of us were, were trying to be too much like the religious lawyer who thought he knew who his immigrant neighbor was or just mm-hmm. neighbor in general was, and he didn't. And we're, we're forgetting that we're called to be the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, who was disliked from Gentiles and Jews and loved his neighbor who was literally a context, the beaten man was, almost, was naked. They could, he couldn't even recognize a brother. We're mm-hmm. called to love them that way. And oftentimes... We think that we're the good Samaritan, but I think sometimes Christians are the ones who their theology is so broken, they're spiritually on the side of the road Mm. and they're broken and they need to be lifted up and helped and educated on how to love your neighbor right. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. So, Um, The other thought that I had regarding, you've talked a lot about the context of America and and just understanding our own uh, history here, not just the, the... the overall biblical narrative as Christians, but just removing spirituality and just talking about the historical context of America. And it's interesting when I think about, um, I think in 2020, I think it was in lockdown that I watched when I had COVID. I think I watched Gangs of New York. Do you Mm. remember that old movie, Gangs of New York? Just like violent, brutal. And I think about... um, the fact that where, why we came here was a trauma response. We were, we were running from Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. order to get to, and what I know about trauma and working with trauma survivors for 20 years and in my own personal life is that trauma often begets trauma. I mean, it's a fight, flight, Mm. or freeze response. And where I've been traumatized, I usually try to take out power from somewhere else. And mm. until I disrupt that cycle of trauma, mm. I'll just recreate the pattern. I mean, that's when it becomes that generational epigenetic kind of stronghold mm. that's born into us because we just repeat the trauma until mm. what I believe is the power of God to disrupt it. And to me, it seems mm. that so many of us here in America feel so threatened um, we don't even understand the the greed that greed and power, the struggle for power that we have and comfort and security is actually a trauma response. Oh yeah, man, that's really good. That's really good. We're just we're terrified. You're exactly right. Yeah, that's really really good. Well, exactly you can right. use it and in your you, sermon, Rondell. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, exactly, and and. I, <laughs> You know, again, it's just, I think, I think the, one of the, the most difficult things, but needed things for us, even like when you're, when you have educational tools, like a podcast, when you have educational tools, like speaking or whatever it may be, social media, right. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about these issues, we're always, and I could tell you, y'all been working with 
um, trafficking for, and, and abused victims for so long, y'all are experts on it. You're on level 10, 20. But educating many people, and you have, we have to be willing to, to meet them where they are yeah. and continually repeat the same stuff over and over and over um, because more people need to be educated and more people need to be equipped and more people need to be woken up to, to the issues that, that we face. And one of the fascinating things about immigration I tell people is when you deal with immigration, you're dealing with religious freedom, you're dealing with human Mm. trafficking, you're dealing with racism, you're dealing with xenophobia. There's not one issue that you're just like, if you dabble with anything with serving immigrants, you're going to, you pick and choose what you want to do. Yes. That's how much of a need it is when it comes to these issues. I feel the same way regarding our work and which is why you're on this podcast, because while I thought 20 years ago, okay, we're going to go and our population is going to be this niche, you know, person, this niche population in a club who's uh, feeling like, you know, she, her choice is to sell her body. We quickly, just like you have realized that injustice anyway, you know, anywhere is injustice everywhere, that all Mm. of these factors and issues surrounding poverty and a lack of opportunity and and just brokenness all overlap. I mean, within one woman, right, you've got healthcare, education, transportation, homelessness, mental illness, um, all of it, you know, so disease, HIV, all that kind of stuff. Um, Take us through the just a story, maybe one that's impacted you most recently, because I know you just got back from the border um, yeah. last week. So take us through kind of a story that impacted you or might impact our audience who's just now hearing that might help reframe how we think about the immigrant. Yeah, I, I would say this. There's one story that um, that happened a couple months ago. But it stuck with me out of all the stories. A lot of the, a lot of the, those who seek asylum um, are, are pregnant mothers. And so they're actually the most vulnerable in these tent camps. And you think about uh, them sleeping on the floor on a tent and they're pregnant with a baby and they don't get net regular checkups, right? Mm. And there was one story of uh, two pregnant mothers who were, um, they needed safety in America and they were like, we, we can't, we can't continue to sleep in this tent camp. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the baby. And so uh, one of them, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to put my, all, and some of the other leaders helped. I'm going to put my bed uh, mattress on the Rio Grande water in the water. And I'm going to, I'm going to paddle across the border. And that's excruciatingly dangerous, like tremendously dangerous. Cartel controls the Rio Grande Valley like you wouldn't believe. If, mm. if you get caught, you're getting killed because mm. you don't, that's a, that's a, that's their, that's their work. That's how much, that's the money that they make you, you know, you can't mess with them. But by God's grace, she literally jumped and put this mattress in the water and she paddled pregnant, eight months pregnant, paddled her way across the border. And when she got to, uh, right when she got to border patrol, she ended up going to into labor right after she got across and she had the baby. Not only that, we were able to, uh, one of our contacts, uh, when we heard about this story, um, she, she had a friend that lived in Austin, Texas. Mm. And so she came about two months ago. Yeah. So two months ago, this happened. So about a month ago or so, she came and my wife is, uh, she has a lot of, she has a lot of experience with like counseling. She's taken some classes on stuff. She knows Spanish. She's an immigrant herself. And so when she came, uh, she came, the, the, our church and TIC partnered to, to care for her. And we got her an apartment. My wife was meeting with her on a consistent basis. Her husband was still in the tent camp. Um, and, and we ended up saying, you know, it's going to be hard for her to, seek asylum right in the u.s she's going to be undocumented what are we going to do with the babies the baby's barely born um but we had a contact at the university of texas a lawyer who said hey it's a long shot but we can try and so basically she filed for like a credible fear 
um, asylum process so she can stay in the U.S. legally. And within like two weeks, we ended up getting word that she was approved. And not only was she approved, but her husband was approved to come. And so he ended up coming. And now he's working and they're staying at a, they're staying in an apartment in Austin, Texas. And the baby's doing great. And my, my wife stays in contact with her often. My wife was really instrumental in helping her uh, get acclimated to the city. Wow. But I share that story because one, you see the journey that they have to go through that they shouldn't have to go through. That's traumatizing. Mm. And it also shows that there's hope, right? Yeah. When the church steps up, when we, when we, we say we're going to care for them, care for the vulnerable in need, that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and TIC can't do it all, do it all, but being able to have a mm-hmm. church that where multiple people are like, Hey, we'll give her diapers. We got her diapers. we got her wives. we got her everything she needed. There's hope for people. And now she's doing great. Her husband's working in construction and they're giving back to the economy because they're paying taxes. So they're actually helping Austin <laughs> become a better city. And I think people need to understand that, that, they are truly fleeing credible fear and 99% mm. of the time they're good people and they're going to be great neighbors and they're mm. going to be hardworking. Right. Um, and I think once we understand that, you know, that's one story out of thousands that have happened and then thousands that don't even come to fruition because they either get caught by the cartel or they don't have hope to even come across. They don't get it documented. Right. They get, they get deported so that was a miracle that God can do mm-hmm. that. He can still perform miracles. Mm-hmm. He can still help people and help them thrive. And it just, it brought me hope, sadness, hope, um, and, and, you know, rejuvenation to continue to do the work that we're trying exactly. to do. To help exactly. We, and you need that. I think we have got to do a much better job telling those stories of the 99% instead of emphasizing the 1% or yes, exactly. But for whatever reason, because what we've done is we've taken well-intentioned Christians who think the 99% are those bad rapists, uh, going to steal everything and make this society terrible, but it's not, it's moms who are, it's moms who are trying to make a better life for their kids. And if you've had kids, you'll do whatever it takes. If that means put a mattress in a river with alligators or cartel, (laughs) you're going to do that. Yep. That's a story of hope. And so it's not a, it's not a, you know, most people, a lot of, some people would say that that's irresponsible, but it's not irresponsible. Mm -mm. Um, And I, you know, and I think that's one of the problems in America we do oftentimes, you know, toward immigrants uh, toward our black brothers and sisters. Uh, people do that toward their, you know, uh, toward political parties and news outlets. We let, we allow the few bad apples mm-hmm. and we use those few bad apples to define all people mm-hmm. in that group. And I just think that that hurts generalizing a certain group of people. It's, it's never fruitful mm-hmm. and it never helps. Um, right. You know, and I think we have to do a better job of, saying the word some rather than all, you know, it helps the conversation going forward. What, how did you get into this work? What, what made you passionate about immigration? Yeah, it's personal to me. My wife's an immigrant. She's from El Salvador. We got married in 2015 on Valentine's day. Um, and it took a couple years for her to come to the U S and so we were married apart for a couple years and I would travel there. And just through that journey, I learned about my own Mexican history coming from immigrants in Matamoros, mm-hmm. Mexico. Um, and I fell in love with, you know, as I was researching uh, visas for my wife to come, I also started learning that there was um, churches were deeply uneducated on this issue. And, and, mm-hmm. and it was a far right or far left issue. And I was like, how can we, yeah. um, how can I help, you know, educate the church in a healthy way on this thing? So. It's really just personal. My wife is the, the hero, really. She's the one that started it all for for us to, to do what we're doing now. Wow. How did mm-hmm. you guys meet? Yeah, so we met in a, at a Bible program in Memphis, Tennessee in 2011, 2012. And she was there just for the year. Okay. Uh, they always brought somebody for one year from another country. 
wow. and we just stayed in contact, fell in love with one another, and wow. we got married. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Truly a long distance relationship. Oh yeah, that was like <laughs> intense. <laughs> I'm still that, like takes it up here. I'm still you guys have that kids? trauma. <laughs> we do. We have a two year old and a three year old. Sophia is the three year old, um, and Charlotte is our two year old. They're 14 months apart. So wow, you're in it. It's intense. It is a lot intense. of coffee. Oh my gosh. Sleep where you can, (laughs) drink all the coffee. And and speaking of how we keep going, because Brett and I have three kids too, and we started doing this work when my youngest was just one. And um, it can take a toll on marriages. It It can take a toll on families. You're dealing with huge political issues. You're fighting macro injustices, but you're also, it sounds like, because this is how we are too, you're not just up here you know, educating, you're not just up here on policy reform, but you actually go, you know, faces, you see the stories. And so you're dealing with that secondary trauma that you come home with and you you can't get it out of your head or you, you get it out of your head so fast and you just detach from it. It's like, how do you guys take care of yourselves, of your family? What are those boundaries like for y'all? Yeah, it's definitely when I get home, I, I put my phone up. Um, if you ever see me post or something, that's because my wife's letting me at night. But most <laughs> of the time, it's it's putting up my phone and and us hanging out as a family, mm-hmm. going for walks. When I when we go to, for a walk or go to a park, I leave my phone in the car, things like that, because there's always something to do. <laughs> Not I mean, and you know, you didn't even mention this, and I'm sorry, but y'all y'all have experienced running a nonprofit is another beast of itself. So. Oh yeah. It's just, it is, it's hard to do and it's hard, you know, it's, you're always thinking you, you, you know, my mind's always racing. And so making sure that we take time to, you know, like this past week we went to go see my parents for three days. It was good, fruitful for Mm -hmm. us. And then we're going to, uh, we're going on vacation this week for seven days. So just really trying to unplug as much as we can. Um, it, it keeps us, um, somewhat healthy. We're, we're never in the place where I'm like, Oh, I'm super spiritually healthy, but, uh, but it does keep us somewhat, um, refreshed and, 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 and fighting to make sure that my family's number one, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to do, um, as I'm running this nonprofit, but I, I need to make sure that they are, um, you know, my number one ministry and, and, and priority above everything else. Most yeah. that, that hustle and grind. Challenge. Well, yeah. It does. Right. And it's rough when it does well, swallow and, you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, ministers and non-profiteurs or whatever you want to call us or uh, advocacy, advocate, advocate, what am I trying, activists, whatever. Non-profiteur. That sounds like uh, a does that service sound act. Fancy. I don't know. I made it up. Um, it's no, it's no different sometimes than the ego trip of, of that entrepreneurs and businessmen have of just hustling for the dollar. And I think yeah. the same ego trip can happen in ministers when you're hustling for a congregation or a platform or a pulpit or a Instagram handle or yeah. whatever it is. It, it, you know, the ego can still just have wear many different masks for us, you know, but it, feels, and, it feels more disguised and not ego, you know, because it's a good cause. Cause it's for a good you know, cause. It's, yeah. It's a good right. cause it's for Jesus. So it can't be ego. Oh yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden you, you open the door and it's like, Oh damn, there's the ego. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It can, and, and it's, it's stressful because I mean, and what, but one of the strategies for us has been uh, for me, my per- personally for me is, um, making sure I like, I take a, I personally, I take a part-time salary from the, from the, from TIC. Mm-hmm. So, and I work a, another really flexible job where I'm able to, uh, to mentor immigrants and care for immigrants and just any from executives to, um, to people on the ground for like this, this great construction company called <clears throat> Brassfield and Gory. And so, uh, it just allows me to have that flexibility. And one of the things for us to with personally for me is, um, us partnering with people on the ground has been healthy mm-hmm. for me because I don't have to be there 24 uh, seven. The people on the ground on behalf of TIC representing us are, are our liaisons in partnership with us to do the work. 
And so a lot of times it's conversations. It's, it's trying to figure out where the water needs to go. Where's the food need to go. It's a little bit of the logistics. Um, but also it allows me to say, you know, I can have a job that I really love and I'm able to provide for my family. And then TIC is a part-time gig, but we're, mm. we're using the majority of the funds for all the, for the people. And, yes. you know, and that's, that's been a cool strategy for us. And it's good for my heart because I think for me as a nonprofit guy, I can stress like crazy that like, man, I, I you know, not only do I need to raise funds for the people primarily, but I also have to put food on the table. Right. You know? And, and so how do I do that? And it, it allows me to not stress as much. Um, you know, so it's good work. We're doing good work. It's just, y'all just know it's, it's always something we're thinking about. It's always, yeah. uh, it's challenging. And if we don't unplug, um, it, it, it can hurt our ministries. Right. Totally. If people wanted to, if people wanted to find out <clears throat> how to come around what you guys are doing on the border or more information about your organization, where, where could they find you? Yeah, they can go to the, the immigration coalition.com our website, and then they can find us on Facebook, the Immigration Coalition, uh, Twitter, the Immigration Coalition, and Instagram, the Immigration Coalition. Um, uh, TikTok? You on TikTok? You bring <laughs> we don't have some... TikTok. Yeah, we don't have TikTok yet. We we need to get hey, that. I need you to get on. I need you to get on that bandwagon <laughs> and drop some knowledge to, on some on some talkers. I might have to. I might have to. I I I've uh, we're trying to manage those three right now. I'm like, how do I? We've been wanting to get with with uh, TikTok. I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to pay somebody else to do that. Okay, no, 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 no. You live in Austin. You live in a college town. It's time to get some interns. That's and good. Turn those, yes. turn those interns loose. <laughs> that would be wonderful, bro. It's I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so glad to know about the work that you're doing, and I hope that our audience has just broadened a little bit of uh, maybe their hearts and their minds, grown to understand just uh, the bigness of this issue, but then also the importance of proximity. And Rondell, I just appreciate your um, your boots on the ground, but also collaborative spirit that is yeah. really partnering with so many who are local, who are building trust among immigrants and asylum seekers. Um, and I just, if you want to be involved with this issue, you can visit Rondell on all the social media platforms personally, or look at the Immigration Coalition because there may be some opportunities where your church or your community um, could also be involved. It'd be really great. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.